The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July. Happy fully open. Come on, I want to celebrate that for a moment. Definitely grateful. It's been a long, I don't know what, 16, 17 something months, and I am so glad you're here. It's crazy that it would happen on the 4th of July, so I can be grateful for that, grateful for our freedom Appreciate the nation that we get to live in, as well as grateful what Christ has done, that we can have freedom from sin. So praise God for that. Um, We're in a series called Up Next Hope, and we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're not doing it systematically necessarily. And so if you're looking today where we're going to be, we'll land in Mark chapter 2. You can turn there. And uh, we'll jump into that chapter here momentarily. I always encourage you to bring a Bible. And I've said why before, but I'll explain it again. Um, I think for many, if you're not familiar with where the books of the Bible are, um, as we we refer to certain books, I think it's good to to open the pages and know, oh, that's kind of where that's at. So Mark, again, as you look at the New Testament, which is about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, um, Matthew and then Mark. Luke and John, those are all Gospels, but Mark is where we're going to land, and we'll get there. I also encourage you to take notes, um, especially today. There's actually a bunch of different scripture references that I'll be giving you, and so I encourage you to do that, and you can do that on your notes app on your phone, or maybe you got something to write with. Uh, I always like to write with a, a wood pencil, because uh, I'm from the 1940s or something. But anyway, so there you go. Um, but uh, uh, Heather and I, a few years ago, um, were in London on, on vacation, just enjoying some time together. Uh, and uh, we were, you know, you travel all over, you take the tube, you take the buses, all that kind of stuff, and we were going from one tube stop to another, actually walking, and we happened upon a large theater where there was a movie premiere, and we didn't even know it, we just kind of happened upon it, and so you had movie stars, you know, driving up and getting out and walking the red carpet and pictures, it was all that you kind of see, that you see on TV, but we were in person, and we're like, wow, this is amazing, and so we try to get as close as we can, and we're up kind of on a a raised balcony walkway thing, and we're kind of decently close, but not close enough to really see. So I've got my camera and I'm trying to take some pictures and zooming in and the crowds are there and they would stop and talk to different people in the crowd along the people that were close enough, talk to them. And so we weren't that close. So here I am yelling, Hey, Emma, it was Emma Stone, which I, you know, my wife thinks I have a crush on her. Anyway, that's uh, besides, did I, have I seen Cruella? Yes, I have, but let's just keep going. Um, but, uh, Anyway, so I'm yelling, Emma, Emma Stone, you know, trying to wave, and she didn't wave at me, and so I'm still getting counseling, and it's going to be okay, but um, she still doesn't know I exist, so I'm not a stalker. Okay, let's keep going. Um, But my my point in saying that is this, I mean, the crowds had gathered, and it was crazy, and and it's all that you see sort of on TV. Like, I would imagine that many of us in here have met a famous person, and, and, you know, like, maybe you're at a, you know, a sporting event, and there's somebody famous, or you're at an airport. I passed, you know, Patrick Ewing one time, and I look like a little person in front of him, but, you know, um, you know, we, we, we've probably met different famous people, or maybe you have a connection to somebody who's famous or relatively famous, and that's kind of where we land when we get into Mark chapter 2. At Mark chapter 2, as I talked about last week in chapter 1, at the point of the end of that chapter, some time has gone by, but Jesus is, is kind of notorious throughout this region, and people want to come and see what he can sort of do and what he has to say, and it was kind of a big deal. And so as you jump into the chapter, it paints kind of this picture. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. 
Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, uh, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father, as we stop and pray, God, we ask that you would help us understand uh, to a deeper level what is going on, in particular, how this matters today. That this is an incredible story that we would all marvel at. But I pray that in a new way, we can marvel at what's being taught here. And God, that we can also experience your work in each of our lives as we open ourselves to the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So again, it opens up and the crowd has gathered in mass. There's no way to get in the door. People are probably outside trying and the crowds have, have heard about Jesus and wanna see what's going on. And, and then it says, um, he preached the word to them. Let me remind you that as, as, as far as Mark goes in chapter one, he opens with John the Baptist and then basically says, Jesus took the baton of preaching repentance from John the Baptist and began to preach, teach the crowds. And so here he is once again, teaching the crowds. But then this kind of strange thing happens in verse four, Sorry, verse three, it says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the man on uh, the mat he was lying on. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, imagine if you're at home and somehow there's somebody teaching and there's a lot of crowds and all of a sudden your roof, your ceiling begins to open up. I mean, you'd be thinking like, this is an insurance claim. This is not okay. Like what is happening here? And of course, it's not quite that detailed. Back in the day, you know, those houses would have been almost like kind of a studio apartment kind of deal of a large square, even a small square with a flat roof. And oftentimes in this context, there would be a ladder to go up on the roof and use that area for gathering as a gathering space. So it wouldn't have been totally unusual for this to happen as they get up there uh, or for them to go up there. What's unusual is that they picked open the roof and lowered a man down. And, And again, think about the scene for the crowd going, what is going on on the roof? And there's debris and Jesus is right there. And maybe he's like, you know, but, but the, the man gets lowered down in front of Jesus. Now it says specifically, and I want you to notice this. It says specifically that he saw that, that they had, um, they had faith uh, to believe for a miracle here. And so I, I think it's key there because you might go, well, how did he see it? What is it that he saw? He saw something in their eyes. He saw something in them that believed. No, no. What he saw was that they, they somehow knew if they could get their friend to Jesus, he could be healed. What, they, what he saw was that they were willing, desperate enough to open the roof and lower the man down. If you're taking notes, write down James 1 and 2. In James 1 and 2, it talks about faith, that you and I having faith. And what happens is, 
if you and I would say we have faith, what, what, what Jesus is reminding us of is it, it's what we do. James would also say it's what we do that shows our faith. The decisions we make to take action or the decisions we make to not take action should be filtered through our lens of faith. So Jesus sees that they have faith simply because they bring the man up onto the roof, they open the ceiling and lower him before Jesus. It was their actions, James would say, that would prove out their faith. So I love how it kind of walks us through this story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your son, your sins are forgiven. Pause. This man couldn't get there by himself. This man had to get a ride from his buddies lying on a mat with four of them carrying him. Somehow they managed to drag him up maybe the stairs and get him up onto the roof, open the roof and lower him down. Do you think that he's super concerned about his sins being forgiven in that moment? Probably not. What is it that they're hoping Jesus would do? He also he forgave his sins. Time out. Jesus, that's great, but could you make his legs work? You ever thought about that? Sometimes we read this stuff and we just kind of breeze right through. I don't know that he was so concerned about his sins being forgiven, but here's something I want you to really take in. What is it that really matters in the soul of this man? that his sins are forgiven. He doesn't know it. He maybe doesn't fully understand it, but the greatest need he has, the greatest need that you and I have, beyond all the things that you pray for, beyond all the things you think you need, is your sins to be forgiven. See, isn't that just like the God that we serve? Well, what do you mean by that? What I mean is this. We have something we want, but Jesus has another agenda. We have something we desire, but Jesus sees the bigger picture. We have something we're asking God for and we're not necessarily receiving it, but God has something better even in mind. One commentary as I was studying this said this, on the surface, this hardly seemed to be what the man needed, but listen carefully, But Jesus was illustrating an Old Testament claim that human suffering rests in separation from God. Therefore, this forgiveness is our deepest need. You ever look at it that way? You really see it that way? See, sometimes in our lives, we forget this discipline of repentance this need for you and I to make sure we're dealing with our soul, our heart, at the the core, what's going on. Oftentimes, our prayers can revolve around all the things that we think we need or others need, and we bring those before the Lord, and we should, and that's good, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But let's not for a second get beyond the fact that the deepest issue within the human heart is separation from God because of sin, and that's a universal problem, right? That's an issue for every one of us. And it's not an issue way back when, when we said yes to Jesus or last month when you prayed that prayer, invited him in or whenever it might've been. It's an issue ongoing that God wants you and I to take inventory of. 
It's why when the psalmist talks about, I lay in bed at night and allow the Lord to search me, it's an important discipline in our lives. How's my heart? How's my soul? What's going on inside? See, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter and we don't always see it. Son, your sins are forgiven. Lord, heal me. Your sins are dealt with. Lord, I want my legs to work. And then too, as you look at the the bigger picture of what's happening here, he's not in a room by himself with this man. Who's he with? A whole crowd. Who's he around? People from the city of Capernaum, the town. Who's in there? People that needed to hear him teach the word. Who else? Religious leaders. What's going on? Remember, Mark is writing in context to Rome. What he desperately wants is the people of of, of Rome as an empire, specifically as a city, he wants them to understand that this guy, Jesus, is not just a great teacher. It's not just some miracle worker. It's not just somebody people are whispering about so they can get a free loaf of bread because later on he's gonna perform some miracles and make bread and fish multiply. Well, I'm hungry, give me a meal. Can you supersize it? See, there's a bigger context than just this one individual that needs to be healed. And it's important for you and I to remember that. There are times in our lives where we want God to do certain things. We're asking, we're bringing requests. And again, we should, it's biblical. But even still, don't let that supersede that maybe God's got a bigger thing in mind. And we trust him in the process, which isn't always easy. Can I hear an amen? It's not always easy. Now, He says to to this individual, your sins are forgiven. Verse six, some teachers of the law, like I said, they were in the crowd and Jesus knew it. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, wait a minute, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They don't say it out loud. But again, with the crowd there and Jesus identifying who they are, and probably they have a different type of garb on to identify that they're religious leaders, they're they're from certain sects of leadership within the community of Israel, Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever it might be, they look different. He knows that they're there. And here's what's happening when the man gets lowered and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Here's what they're doing. Looking at each other. So it's not like they're just going. He can tell that they're sour. He knows in in, in their hearts, which by the way, in a bigger context, as you read the whole of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over they're critical, over and over they're bitter, over and over they're enslaved to their traditions that actually keep them from seeing him as the Messiah. Another sermon, another day, but a warning for all of us. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and go home? Well, we all know the answer. The easier thing to say is, your sins are forgiven. Because this idea of a miracle where somebody's legs don't work, and then all of a sudden work, is a pretty big deal. But look at what Mark says in the context of Mark wants people to know who Jesus is. Listen to this. Which is easier to say, Jesus is saying this, 
to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is another, I mentioned that the temperature gets turned up as you continue through any one of the Gospels. The religious leaders are a little puzzled at first, intrigued, all that, but as time goes on, this is one of those moments where he's saying, look, you, you, you want to know the Son of Man? And he's like doing this, Son of Man. That's a big deal, and Mark identifies it, again, wanting the people of Rome to know this Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. This Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. He's the Son of Man. He refers to him as the Son of God. He identifies him directly as the Messiah. And so Jesus says it himself. I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I gotta be honest here. I'm looking at this. There's, there's a crowd of people. They're, they're on top of each other, like trying to be there, watching Jesus teach and wanting to see a miracle. Though The roof is open. This man gets lowered in front of Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven. They're getting mad. He says, look, I have authority to do this, which is easier. Your sins are forgiven or be healed. His sins are forgiven and be healed. And he gets up. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking like he, he, he gets up and everyone's like, oh my word. And if I'm the guy, I get up and I'm like, Jesus, my legs work. Lord, my legs. I'm like hugging him. I'm kissing his feet. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm freaking out. And what does it say in the text? He gets up, gets his mat. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, time out. Did he not like, they work. They work like they work. My legs work. I would be freaking out. Now, I don't know why, but you get none of it. It says he did exactly as Jesus said. And maybe for him, it was this fear of God thing where it's like, look, I better obey because I'm healed. But it literally, it's like he got up, took his mat and went home. I didn't write the gospel of Mark. But I would have thought the guy busted out into a dance. The guy freaked out. The guy fell at Jesus' feet. I also want to think later on he took up karate just because, like, look at this, man. Anyway, so. Everybody saw that it was a miracle. And they praised God. The world that you and I live in, and again, just to be transparent about this, I appreciate a ton that we have technology. And I appreciate living in the type of country where we can get medical care pretty quickly when we need it. And I know of other countries, and I've been on plenty of missions trips where they don't have medical care and you don't get help. And if you try, you're waiting six months. You're waiting a year. The help you get sometimes isn't even help. It makes things worse. And yet the world that we live in is a very practical world in the USA. And I appreciate it a lot. But sometimes what happens in the world where you and I practically understand and have all that we need is that less and less do we actually pray for miracles. Less and less do we, we invite God into our lives asking for something supernatural. When you look at the whole gospel of, uh, of Mark, 
In chapter one, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law and many others. At the end of chapter one, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. In chapter two, we just read the story that Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Chapter three, Jesus uh, heals a, a man's hand on the Sabbath. And again, great story. They're all legalistic about, you can't heal on the Sabbath because that's work. I'm like, are you kidding me? Heals a man's hand on the Sabbath. Chapter five, Jesus heals a bleeding woman and restores a girl to life. In chapter six, it says Jesus heals all who touch him. In chapter seven, the crowds marvel at these healings. In chapter eight, Jesus restores the sight of a blind man. And in chapter 10, before the passion, before it moves into Jerusalem and the cross and all of that, the last healing we see in Mark, chapter 10, Jesus heals a blind beggar. Nine different stories, some of them as multiples, healing that takes place. Three times in chapter five and seven and nine, Jesus brings deliverance from an individual who's suffering from demonic oppression somehow, possession. And so it talks about Jesus sends a de- uh, uh, demons into a herd of pigs. Jesus sets a girl free from demonic oppression. And then later on in chapter nine, sets a, a boy free from demon possession. In Mark alone, Jesus calms a storm and the disciples are like, who in the world is this that the wind and waves obey him? Jesus feeds 4,000 people and commentaries would say that's just men because oftentimes it was only men that were included in numbers back in that day. And so you could include maybe that there were women and children as well and Jesus fed more than 4,000. And then again, Jesus feeds 5,000, two different miracles where there's only so much bread and fish and there's everybody eats and there's a bunch left over. Jesus walks on water as you continue reading the Gospel of Mark, and then Jesus is transfigured on a mountaintop. A couple of disciples witness this moment where Jesus basically encounters Moses and, and Elijah, and there's this vision from heaven, kind of this thing. It, it's, it's, again, supernatural. Why do I bring all this up? Obviously, the, the primary issue for Mark is writing, look at this is Jesus that's not just a good teacher. This is Jesus the Messiah. This is the one that... that Israel was waiting on, but at this point, the message of the gospel is not just for the nation of Israel, it goes to the Gentiles. And when you read the book of Acts, that's what you'll read. It moves from just being in Jerusalem through persecution to spreading all over, and not just for uh, Israel, but for everyone. And so when, when Mark is writing, he desperately wants the people of Rome to know, this is the Messiah, this is where we find that forgiveness that I mentioned a little bit ago. But on top of that, and I really want you to, to hear this, when Mark talks about supernatural miracles, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. When was the last time you saw something supernatural? And more specifically, when was the last time you prayed for a miracle? See, the problem is this. Sometimes you and I, and I, again, I've been a follower of Christ for about 29 years now, Sometimes we stop expecting, and so we stop praying. We, we've prayed for certain things, and sometimes in our prayer lives, because we don't see the answer right away, or sometimes you would say, well, I haven't seen it at all, we kind of give up on praying. 
And sometimes it's for those things, but sometimes it's this general, like, I, I, don't, I guess I don't really need to pray because I don't see answers. And so we give up on, on praying at all. Well, if it's God's will, it'll just happen because that's how it works. There's somebody that I was able to meet and have some conversations with years ago named Mark Batterson. He's an author. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and I appreciate him immensely. He's got some podcasts. He's got some articles he writes. He's got books, but I appreciate him a ton. And he says this, God doesn't answer 100% of the prayers we don't pray. God doesn't answer 100% of the prayers we don't pray. Why? Because if we don't ask, then when something happens generally and it's an answer to whatever we might be thinking about, but we don't ask, then it's not really an answer. Does that make sense? And so I love how he says God doesn't answer 100% of the prayers we don't pray, but he goes on to explain this. And this is what I want you to hear. He says, the bravest prayer you can pray is the prayer you've prayed a hundred times that hasn't been answered, but you pray it one more time anyway. Like I said, I've been following Jesus for, for just over 29 years. And there's things I've prayed for, some of those things for 29 years. But I don't give up. Because I, I, I look at what God can do and, and sometimes we see instantaneously things happen. And sometimes it takes time. But what I want to challenge you and I with today, as you look at the gospel of Mark and you see nine different accounts of healing that take place, three different times where there's an issue of spiritual forces at work that Jesus brings this deliverance, that where we see walking on water or calming a storm or multiplying bread and fish, that Mark says it, yes, that we understand this is the Messiah. But it's not just that we leave these stories in antiquity and just go, that was great for then. And wow, what a cool thing. I wish that could happen today. But another portion is to challenge every one of us. Have you stopped praying for supernatural miracles? Have you set aside the power of God because in our world we're so practical or because we don't see some of the answers so we just kind of give up and go, okay, sera, sera. It is what it is. I want to challenge us with a couple of thoughts. With the question, why keep praying for the supernatural? First of all, because we're told to. If you've ever read Philippians 4, it says, be anxious for nothing, pray about... Huh? Come on, be anxious for nothing, pray about... Everything. everything. You know what everything includes? Everything! everything. <laughs> right? You're like, stop yelling at me. I tell you, 30 minutes a week, I get to yell at you, okay? So, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Matthew 11, come to me when you're weary and heavy. Bring this stuff. One, we're told to. Two, and listen to this, because what Jesus did on the cross includes forgiveness and healing. Look, it, I could stand up here and go, look, I don't want to say this because what if it doesn't happen? What if somebody wheels in here and you pray for them and they don't get out of the wheelchair? Here's what you've got to know. I'm not a miracle worker. You're not a miracle worker. God is. And all I can say is I want to walk in obedience to what he says and, and leave the results up to him. 
But, but listen, and, and write this down. I said take notes. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. In that text, listen carefully. Matthew talks about what Jesus did to set the oppressed of a spiritually oppressed, possessed, free, and heal all. And he goes on to say it this way. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Listen carefully. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. What Jesus paid for on the cross was, yes, that you and I can find forgiveness, can invite him to be the the Lord and Savior through that, that grace that he poured out from the cross, the blood that was shed. But Isaiah also says in chapter 53, if you're taking notes, write it down. Isaiah 53, that's verse four, I believe, three or four. But Matthew says Jesus paid for our forgiveness, but also that we can experience healing, that we can experience deliverance. And so one, we're told to pray, but two, what Jesus did on the, cro- on the cross includes forgiveness and healing. And finally, because asking is the gateway to miracles. Why wouldn't we? How many of you guys out there have asked for a supernatural miracle before? How many, is somebody to be healed? Somebody to be set free? Maybe salvation for somebody you love dearly and you're just going, God, touch their hearts. And it feels like, God, I need a miracle. Yeah, most of us. Can I just remind us, let's not stop. Let's not get so stuck in the practical that we forget the supernatural, that we can ask for miracles. And in a few moments here, again, you're, you're, we're sitting in here walking through this. Maybe you're sitting home, maybe you're on the couch, maybe you, you know, elbow your, your couch mate there, watching online. And I want to challenge every one of us, again, online or in this room right now, that I want to pray for some miracles. And I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet here for a few moments. And let me be real careful here when I say this. I'm not here to conjure anything up. I'm not here to try to whoop something up and try to make something happen. As I said a few moments ago, my confession is this. I'm not a miracle worker. But I read and see miracles throughout the Gospels. When I study church history, there have always been miracles that happened. And I've personally seen miracles happen. I'm I'm friends with, with Jay and Sandy Smith at Cedar Park in Bothell. And every single year, I believe it's in January, they ask for couples that can't conceive to either send their email, their names in, or to come to a service where they're gonna pray for couples to be able to conceive. And they have seen hundreds, if not maybe even into the thousands now, hundreds at least of couples that have said, I was part of this and guess what, we're pregnant. Now you could go, oh yeah, that just happens to couples all the time. And, and you know, they're nervous when they're first married and things aren't kind of working right. But as they settle into life, they get pregnant. Great, say that all you want. But I also happen to believe when we ask God, we get to experience miracles. And I don't want to set that aside. My wife's grandpa was a testimony of healing, was diagnosed with cancer. And this is a little graphic, but the story I was told, because this happened before I came to Christ, is that he was diagnosed with cancer. He coughed up a blood clot and never had cancer again and lived 20 more years. Did they pray for healing? Yep. Mark Batterson, when he's sharing the story about uh, praying brave prayers, shares a story in the midst of that, that context of praying that God would heal him of asthma his whole life. 
and grew up in church world and, and you know, studied ministry and, you know, throughout his teen years and his 20s became a past plan at a church. All this stuff went on. And I believe it was at the age of 39, I think, that, that he had prayed 39 years. And the kind of asthma where he had to go to the ER, where he had to have an EpiPen all the time. He had an albuterol inhaler, had emergencies happen frequently throughout his life. And one day at 39 years, he never quit praying. But it took 39 years for him to receive a healing where he literally shares that he was just praying in a prayer meeting. And he believed somehow he was healed and, 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 and you know, got confirmation and then literally set aside his inhaler and he hasn't picked it up since. We're talking like, I think he's what, 47, 48 now? Something like that. Healing miracles, supernatural work. But, but let's not set aside the miracle working power of God because we're all so practical. I get practical. I get we have brains and God has given us all kinds of gifts and science. I get that, that's great. But let's not set aside what God can do supernaturally simply because we, we see practical. Does that make sense? And so I'm gonna ask you a couple of things. Like I said, I'm not the miracle worker. But how many of you would say, you know what? There are some things that, that I need God to do a miracle in my life or I need God to work a miracle in somebody that I love, somebody that I care about. They really could use a miracle. There is never a time on my prayer list, never a time where there's not three, four, eight, ten people I'm praying for healing from cancer, praying for all kinds of different healings from, from, from you know, physical conditions, praying for deliverance from addictions. I'm always praying for all kinds of different things. But maybe you're in that category going, you know what? I really could use a miracle. I really could use God to do something supernatural. If that's you and you say, you know what it is, I could use healing. Or I know somebody that could use healing. Maybe it's going, hey, I pray for my family. I've been praying for some salvation, for some work in the spirit and in their hearts because I just want to see them surrender. I want to see, you know, whatever it might be. How many would say, you know what, I could use a miracle. I need something supernatural to happen either in your life personally or in the lives of people that you care about. Just put your hand up. I've said before, we're the church where you got to wear deodorant. So there you go. Father, today, God, I pray for you to work and, and for you to even stir our faith, that we don't give up praying, that we can all say, hey, I've been praying for 10 years. I've been praying for 15. I've been, pray, I've been praying for months. I've been praying every day for a while. But God, I pray that even as we would raise our hands and go, you know what, I could use a miracle. Or, or we're praying, God, my friend or my family, my wife, my daughter, my kid, we, could, we need a miracle. God, I pray that something would begin to change in amazing ways. That, Father, there is practical and all that stuff, but, Father, today we're praying that something spiritually begins to change, that there's a deliverance that takes place. There's a healing that takes place. There's a softening of a heart that takes place. There's a breakthrough that happens in, in, in an individual's life, God. Because as we read throughout the Gospel of Mark as well, as all over in Scripture, we see your power. And sometimes we can look at our lives and go, well, I've never seen that happen. I've never experienced that. I've never been a witness to those moments. But God, I pray that we would be. I pray that we would see certain dominoes fall and break through, certain things happen and break through, that, Lord, we can celebrate what you're doing because you're still in the miracle-working business. God, I pray we would be diligent about continuing to pray and I know for some that breakthrough might have happened just now. I know for others, hey, you know what, it was later in the week or some of it would be next month, some down the road. And whatever it might be, God, I pray that we would be aware that we've asked and we saw the answer and we celebrated by giving you the glory. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Can you do me a favor before Aaron kind of makes his transition? 
Like I said, there are times where prayer gets answered immediately and we see some of that in the gospels. We actually see some that happens later. But if you're, there's something you're praying for in this, you know, for supernaturally, if you see an answer to that prayer that we're praying today and you're gonna continue to pray, would you do me a favor and just send an email or fill out that connect card on a Sunday and say, hey, you asked us to pray and I kept praying and here's what I saw. And the reason I say that is because sometimes it will be, hey man, something happened immediately. And other times it will be down the road a little ways at whatever point, but there's something to stopping and celebrating the breakthrough. And I mentioned this in our earlier gathering today and I had two people approach me in the lobby after and say, hey, actually you guys had prayed for this and we saw that answer. And another person came up and said, hey, you, got, you, you prayed for this and I actually saw it was a healing miracle that happened. And I was like, man, that's awesome. That's what we wanna know because again, God is in the miracle working business, amen? So please send an email, nbombgart at grove.church, info at grove.church. Fill out a connect card if you're watching online and something happens, fill out the connect card online or send that email. But we definitely wanna know God is answering, cool? So let's keep praying, let's believe God for supernatural stuff. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.